Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. My name is Luke Lundahl. Today, I'm flying solo on this podcast episode. Jake is on the road right now, uh, wrapping up a clinic. So it'll be just me on this particular episode, but uh, it's business as usual. We're getting right into some training topics. Today, we've got three things in particular uh, that I want to go over. The first one has to do with an insight that kind of came across working with Juliana this past week. And then we're going to get into a question that we received. It's a fairly common issue that a lot of people struggle with. It's definitely a question we've answered time and time again, but it's not something that's actually come up in the context of this podcast. So I wanted to address that as well. And then lastly, I uh, got another question in regards to Makati reins and their usage, uh, what the benefits and drawbacks and what is the guideline for moving away from Makati reins into actual, say, leather split reins. So let's get started first with the insight this past week. Um, Juliana, obviously, we had the previous podcast kind of talking about her and uh, joining the company and kind of some insights she, that she learned. Well, over the past week, last week, that is, due to different time restraints and whatnot, we had to give this one particular horse three days of a fairly short ride just at the jog and basically just utilizing the time that we had so we didn't do any loping but in that time that 15 minutes to 15 to 20 minute window that we had for those three particular days we utilized that by basically going back to the jog and just breaking this horse loose, tying him in knots laterally with a lot of different exercises, a little counter bending, two tracking, lots of bend and draw, and a ton of backing, backing circles, backing serpentines, lots of turning around, turning on the foot, lot just breaking him loose left and right, getting him listening, keeping it all nice and slow and relaxed and building this confidence. But everything was just back to the jog and just kind of back to the basics for three days in a row. And then after that, and there was no real intention of that at that point. Um, the Really, the mindset was, okay, we're a bit crunched for time. We have to make this allowance. This is the horse um, that uh, will kind of cut the corner, so to speak, in a way, right? So after the three days, we get back to just the normal schedule. And right off the bat, I, I come into the arena and uh, to help her with this particular horse uh, with some different exercises. And I'd missed the initial, the first session of the loping. And so right off the bat, she tells me that the horse is, is, feels like 10 times better, like just leaps and bounds of improvement at, at the lope. And without even working on it, this particular horse had, had uh, really struggled in some areas, especially in just softness in general, at the canner in being relaxed and wanting to really break at the withers. And so already things felt like 
10 times better, you know, without without even addressing it. This is first day back going to the lope after three days of not loping at all. And this is our, this is what she's feeling. Right. And so it brought up a great insight that we can't have stumbled across unintentionally. But it was a lesson that I myself learned a while back when I first got my taste of getting to ride two year olds. And there was a particular horse that was really, really struggling that I had really, really struggling uh, at the lope with just every bit of softness in general. You take a hold of this thing's face immediately. He's really, really bracy. It doesn't matter. Left lead, right lead, whatever. Just very, very bracy through his body. The moment you take hold of him, his first reaction would be just to get really tight and stiff and, and want to be really resistant and basically just kind of you know, force you every time to go the distance in getting this horse soft over and over again. It just was not getting better. It just plateaued. And in all, all honesty, I'd say it was probably slowly degrading the quality or, you know, his try and, you know, the softness was probably getting worse and worse as time was progressing. And so I was told to, at that time, because I was still an apprentice, I was told now that particular horse uh, I want you to just go back to the jog and just spend three solid days just breaking this horse loose at the jog. And after three days, then go and do your normal ride, then tie him up, come back and ride him again, but only do a short 10 minute set five to 10 minute session, either just at the walk, the walk and the jog, or just backing him up, backing in circles, serpentines, angles, all of that, right? After a week of doing that, um, the first three days just at the jog, already day four going back and introducing the lope again, it was like night and day. Like It was incredible how much work had been done for me without even touching the lope for three days. And then after a week of now the the remaining four days of, uh, well, sorry, three days because the horse wasn't ridden on Sunday. So the remaining three days there, it was the regular ride coupled with coming back even just at a walk, just doing a few lateral exercises at the walk, a little two-tracking, counterbending, whatever, just at the walk. Or one day in particular, everything was just backing. Just got back on him, five minutes, back in some circles, back in some serpentines, boom, off him, done, right? Next week comes out, problem solved. Like this thing... The moment you went and loped him off and took a hold of him, just came right back to you, just melted into your hands. Like resistance was gone, right? So that was a huge insight wake up call for myself at that point. And we kind of stumbled across it again here in this situation with Juliana's horse. And we kind of, in a way, almost stumbled on it by accident because it wasn't the intent, right? But it was a great reminder of how valuable coming back to the jog can be when you've hit a stone wall or a plateau in your uh, in your program, especially at the lope. You know, when it comes to softness at the lope or collection or a particular exercise that you're really struggling with, maybe it's a rollback or something like that. Like coming back to the jog, slowing it down for your horse and going back to the basics, so to speak, and taking it more because the jog, you know, the the saying the that you hear it all the time, the jog is a teaching learning gate. It slow it forces the horse to slow down mentally and it allows them to process the information much better. 
and it allows you as the rider to take them and put them in a lot more binds that you just can't really do at the lope. We incorporate this in, in our program regardless, whether the horse is doing good or not. We'll go you know, several weeks and then pr- pick a particular week, like say every fourth week to maybe every fifth week, and just throw in three days of the jog for even if the horse is doing great, just because, just to kind of slow things down and kind of reset a little bit. We don't always have to be going and doing the same things every day and, you know, going all out every single day that we ride the horse. We sometimes, slowing things down, taking a step back to the jog is like the the magic elixir, so to speak, in uh, really leaping forward in that horse's progress. Now, that's not to say that every time you run into a problem with your horse at the lope, it's like, oh, throw up the white flag and don't even try to fix it. No, by all means, there is definitely a place and a time for pushing through that resistance, for sure. And that's, I would say, the majority of the time. But this little insight here produced a very good, or this little uh, incident produced a very good insight in Sometimes when you're struggling, you hit that plateau, rather than making an issue of it and going after it and trying fixing it at the lope, doing that actually will make the problem worse, or it'll delay you solving that problem farther down the road. Instead, don't make an issue of it, step back for a second, regroup, slow things down, go back to your basics, so to speak and spend at least three days and then come back to it. Now, why three days? It seems like with horses, that's like the magic rule, things of of three. And if you do it just, you know, a day or two days, it doesn't really uh, become a habit in their mind. Like a day kind of plants the seed. Day two allows it to kind of germinate. But by day three, it's firmly ingrained and sprouted in their mind, so to speak. Okay, so anything less than three days, you're kind of almost wasting your time because the horse really doesn't have time to truly process it and make it kind of a a given habit. All right. So I would highly recommend three days and even adding like a fourth or a fifth day. You all honestly can't go wrong with that. Every day after that, just further ingrains that habit to the horse and just further kind of intensifies the process. Now, there also becomes a time you can't just say, all right, I'm going to do a month at the jog. You're Then you're you're going to go the opposite and end up not getting anything done, okay? Three days is usually the magic number. Go back for three days, break them loose. Even if it's, you know, two days at the jog, doing a lot of lateral, a lot of counterbending, two tracking, um, and then the third day is everything just backing, right? That'll be great. That's like, that's perfect. If you do, say, every day, all three days, you do a little bit of, of lateral and finish with some backing. Just, you know, say 10, 15 minutes. Perfect. They don't have to be long rides. You know, you're not going to go half hour at the jog. We're looking for 15, 10 to 15 minutes. Get in, get the, get something done, get out and move on. Okay. So we're not looking for an out, you know, a half hour long drill session at the jog. This is meant to be quiet. This is meant to be relaxed. We're slowing things down. We're taking a step back. We're kind of giving them a a breather, so to speak, so that we can then come back to it, kind of refreshed, tackle the problem again, and nine times out of ten, it's going to either be solved for us or much, much better and allow us 
now is kind of given us the foundation to now easily solve that problem that we are facing at the lobe. Okay. So moving into the next topic, uh, this is going to be a groundwork topic. We haven't covered a groundwork topic in a while on the podcast, but this question we received, and it was a question with a video kind of demonstrating what was going on. And basically the problem was, and again, this is a very common problem. You see it a lot. I know we've definitely answered this question a lot, but not in a broad sense over the podcast. So the question was in lunging, lunging uh, this particular horse, every time this lady goes to send the horse off, it just turns and faces her. And she ends up running around trying to get this horse to go and all it does is basically yield its hindquarters okay so she starts out looking at the video she starts out in front of the horse and let's we'll say like to start with she points off to the left to send the horse off so then the horse doesn't really do anything he you know he's just kind of looking at her so she moves over to her right almost like creating a space a door for the horse to go to getting out of his way and allowing her to go around to the horse's hip to direct her pressure to drive him forward getting behind, trying to get behind the drive line to send the horse off onto the circle okay well when this happens the horse just yields his hindquarters and gives her two eyes and not to not to pick on her at all but i mean he's doing a great yield the hindquarters i mean it's just a plus level like this horse is excelling at that for sure but okay all, all jokes aside essentially what's happening here is in this particular video the lady is too concerned about the impulsion without first establishing the direction she's going right to the gas pedal when the car is not steered in the right direction right now okay it's like she's parked in front of a of a light post and she gets in puts the car in drive and just hits the gas all right and and just runs right into the light post Okay, if we're parked in front of a light post, the first thing we're going to do when we put it in drive is turn the wheels so that when we hit the gas, we avoid the light post. But in this situation, what she's doing with the horse is essentially just getting in, putting in drive and just hitting the gas and kind of letting the chips fall where they may. We're going right to the hindquarters, which, yes, is where we get where we get our drive, where we get our impulsion. But it's useless if we don't have the car steered in the right direction okay so and we see this a lot a lot of people they move their feet an awful lot when they're lunging their horses it's more the horse is almost lunging them rather than they actually lunging the horse right so in order to rectify the situation rather than walking around say that we're sending the horse off to the left rather than walking around to the right and going after the horse's hindquarters and trying to drive him forward instead point up high and i would start out in teaching this i'd gather she's got a stick and a string so i'd take the string off or just gather it up i would recommend taking it off so you don't have to worry about the string flopping around it just makes life more complicated take her string off she can point up high to the left in the direction he wants to send the horse then if the horse is still just looking at her like what what's going on then she can swing her stick big circles with a right arm one two three and that's kind of like a warning that hey i asked you to move your feet and at that point if he hasn't moved his feet she can start walking forward just straight toward the horse's head right walking forward as she's swinging the stick with that same one two three four rhythm 
When she gets within stick distance of the horse, she can go ahead and start applying driving pressure with that stick right behind the halter. Okay, so if she's if the horse is facing you and you're sending the horse off to the left, as you walk in there swinging that stick, you're going to apply the pressure to the left side of the horse's body right behind that that halter okay so if you're sitting on top of the horse it's the left side of his body so you're going to apply that driving pressure with the stick tapping him on the neck right behind the halter why on the neck right behind the halter because we're not going to go walk in there and whack him on the face but we want to be as far forward as possible because the farther forward we are in directing that pressure the more of a directional change we're going to get the more we're going to be able to move his forequarters away from us. The farther we get with that stick towards his shoulder, towards that drive line, the less effective we're going to be. If you just whack him on the, the middle of the neck or the shoulder, there's a lot of fat and muscle there. And while technically it'll get some sort of response, it's not going to be as effective as getting that pressure right behind the halter, right behind that jaw to drive the, to really exaggerate, get that front end away. Okay, so she'll start with driving pressure, tapping that horse behind the halter with that stick in a one, two, three, four rhythm, slowly increasing that harder and harder, harder, harder to increasing the pressure as much as necessary to get that horse to move its front end away from her out onto where the circle is. That that front end needs to jump away and then the horse will basically be perpendicular with her where the front end and the hind end are now on the edge of her circle. Once the horse is facing the correct direction, she's still pointing up at this at this point. She's still pointing in the direction the horse is going. Once the horse is facing the correct direction, now she can go ahead and direct her energy with that stick toward the hind end. And she can and she can whack the horse on the hindquarters if she needs to to get him going that direction. Now, if she's as she's pointing up, if she goes to the hindquarters with that stick and applies pressure to drive the horse forward and he just turns and faces her again, what becomes her priority? The direction. So she goes back to the forequarters and she'll basically, especially on a horse like this, that's kind of gotten away with it for a while. It's going to be a back and forth game for the first few times she does this. She's going to drive the front end away. And then the moment she goes to drive the, the hind end off and send the horse forward, he just going to jump his hind end away and look at her again. So then she goes and she should drive the front end away again. Drive the front end away, go back to the hind end. Drive the front end away, go back to the hind end. And when I say go back to the hind end, I'm not saying turn your body to the hind end and walk towards its butt. Because then at that point, you're basically, you'll have a tendency to just pull the horse's head towards you and turn it into a yield the hindquarters instead of sending the horse off. When you walk forward to drive the horse's front end away, once that front end jumps away, you're going to continue to basically walk that same straight line. It's like there's a chalk line on the ground, okay, so that when, when you're standing there and the horse is facing you before you sent the horse off. It's like there's a chalk line that was painted from your feet all the way between the horse's front legs, between his back legs, on to infinity, right? So when you walk forward to drive the horse's front end away, you're following that chalk line. Once you get that front end to jump over, you're going to continue pointing and walking towards on that chalk line towards the horse using that stick to drive that hind end away. You're not going to redirect yourself towards his hind end 
to get it to move. Unless, obviously, the horse, say, runs backwards, you need to follow him to stay in position to send him forward. Otherwise, in a perfect world, you maintain that line that you are already on. You stay committed to that to drive him off. Let's say, in a perfect world, uh, just to kind of draw a mental picture... The horse jumps his front end away when you when you start walking in towards him. So now the chalk line is basically running str- under the middle of his belly. Okay? So from there, you should be able to continue pointing and use your stick to reach back there and drive that hind end away as you walk towards him to drive him out of your space and onto that circle. Okay? That would be in a perfect world. Now, obviously, the horse will move either forward or sideways or backwards. So you have to adjust that. But at no point am I going to turn away from his from his head and direct all my energy towards his hindquarters. Because then I will just shut him down and turn it back into a yield again. All right? But the key here is worry about the direction first and then worry about the impulsion. So get the front end to jump away. Then try and get him to drive forward and get hustling out onto that circle. If you go to the hind end and drive him forward and he just turns and faces you... Go back to moving the front end away and then back to driving him forward. Front end away and then drive him forward. we got to steer the car before we hit the gas. So don't worry about getting him to, to lope off until he's actually facing the correct direction. Get him away from you. Get the Drive that front end away and then worry about sending him off onto the circle. And, you know, be prepared for this horse to turn and face you a handful of times when you first do this because he's he's gotten away with this for a while so you're going to have to s- drive the front end away probably multiple times when he turns and faces you as you try to send him off okay so just be prepared for that it's going to be a back and forth game but every time the horse turns and faces you again you now you now switch back it's like there's a switch between uh direction and impulsion every time the horse the horse turns and gives you two eyes again you need to flip that switch back to the direction because without the direction the impulsion is useless now to cap it off the the third uh the third question that i had involved the makati reins and what is the kind of the outlook on what's the recommendation for when you're ready to move on from Makati reins into actual leather reins, okay? So, and this, again, this is just my uh, personal take on the matter and just, you know, from uh, riding with them and various other types of reins and seeing what uh, tools the various trainers out there use. So, Makati reins, the big draw to Makati reins is the fact that you've got these heavy leather slobber straps that kind of act as a pre-cue to the horse when you slide your hand down when pick up on the rein the first thing that happens is the rein picks up on the slobber strap first then the slobber strap picks up on the horse's mouth so it's like a rein slobber strap bit it's like a one two three type of an action okay so the big advantage to makati reins is it's kind of a fail safe in a way it allows a rider with not a whole lot of feel to not get in a lot of trouble with their horse in making them really fractious or worried uh, when they accidentally pick up too quick, pull too hard, etc. Because 
the heavy slobber straps, one that kind of hang there and flop around, kind of numbs the horse up to pressure throughout the ride. Pressure, you know, to the to the bit, kind of gets the horse desensitized to that kind of nagging pull in his mouth, so the horse is going to be heavier and thus not as easily made fractious if someone picks up too hard or pulls too quick or whatever. At the same time, it gives the horse pl- fair warning that someone is coming. Even if you're too fast with your hand as you go to slide down, it prepares the horse like, hey, you know, Billy Bob is coming hard and fast. Get ready for it. And so it, it prepares the horse that your hand is coming and it allows them to, it gives them a little bit more time to react. Therefore, again, not making your horse hypersensitive or really fractious or something like that. So it has good benefits there as far as kind of being a, a safe tool to allow, to allow more inexperienced horsemen to get along with their horses without problems. Now, the downside to those to a Makati reins is the fact that it prevents the rider from really developing a high degree of feel because you just can't feel what you need to. You can't, you can't feel the little nuances in your horse um, through these heavy reins and these big fat old slobber straps. It's just not conducive to learning real feel. Okay. It's, when you go to actually riding in leather reins, all of a sudden you realize, man, I was really heavy handed. You know, I've been either hanging on my horse or I haven't been expecting enough softness because you just can't feel the things that you need to in slobber straps and, and heavy Makati reins. Okay. The other thing about it is it gets in the way of your performance because it numbs the horse up. It numbs their mouth up. Uh, to a significant enough degree, I'm sure there'll be people that, that argue that point, but it's all really based on your feel and what you're used to and what you consider true, true softness. And at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is you can't achieve the, the level of softness in Makati reins that you could with leather reins. So the question also asked, when are you ready to graduate to that sort of thing? Okay. So as far as graduating, my advice in the situation is, you know, if you've been riding for a while and this particular person asked the question, isn't someone that's, you know, wet behind the ears. They've, they've traveled to a lot of different clinics. They've gotten a lot of info. I've seen them ride. And my advice in that situation is just go do it. It's going to be a weird feeling. You're going to make contact with the horse's mouth a lot quicker than you anticipated it's going to be a bit weird you're you know you're gonna you're gonna have to learn to reset and adjust your feel and be a lot more sensitive for sure but you'll be a lot better off in the long run yeah it's going to be a bit rocky in the beginning um, because you're going to realize when you slide your hand down you're there a lot faster right so there's no real set guideline for um, when you graduate from Makati reins to say leather split reins. But I would say if you're a more of a green rider, someone that's really learning, you could get a lot of benefit from the Makati reins because it allows you to make mistakes, not create a problem with your horse just by kind of your own inexperience and the things that you'll do by accident, pulling too hard, 
you know, grabbing them too fast, stuff like that. So it's very beneficial in that for more of a learner phase. But once you're out of that learner phase, I really recommend going into the leather reins and riding in, in those exclusively because if you get a good pair of leather reins, you've got a spanker there. You've really got, you got two spankers if you needed them. And at the same time, you've now got to force yourself to develop a higher degree of feel, which will make you a better horseman, okay, all around. So I think the benefits very much outweigh uh, the downsides. You just have to go into it realizing, okay, you know, I've really upgraded now. This isn't the same old, you know, heavy old slobber straps that I'm used to. Now this, this rein is a direct connection now to his mouth. And so I need to be respectful of that and take it slow here for a bit and really develop my finesse and my feel and be a lot more aware of how I'm pulling, how fast I'm picking up, stuff like that. So it's really, it'll really challenge you as a rider to be a lot better and use a lot more feel, okay? And as a general rule, even the people that advertise these and, and sell them and all that, they personally do not ride in them unless it's for like a particular event or a photo shoot or whatever, just because of the fact that the feel level is just not there. You just can't get the job done that you, the quality of a job done that you, that you would like in those type of, with those type of tools. It's about using, picking the tool for the job to get the most out of your horse. You have to have the right tool. So it's more of a, a marketing thing and a safety thing in a way for the, the customers that, that, uh, aren't as experienced that are more green that are going to make mistakes. It's a way it gives them a tool that will, uh, set them up for success with their horse kind of protects the horse in a way as well from someone with really heavy or fast hands. But if you really want to progress in your horsemanship, it's time to break out the, the good old leather reins and get something done. So that wraps it up for this podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed the episode. Uh, like I said, this was a bit of an anomaly with me riding solo on the podcast, but never fear. Jake will be back off the road and, and he'll be here for the next episode and we'll dive into some more training topics and get into a little more Q&A. As always, if you have any questions or any comments, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, but until next time, uh, get out there and get busy. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening. 